It's go time. Previously on Third Down Gamble. People realize that in business there are going to be up cycles and down cycles and you just have to roll with whatever you have. Get creative so that you can limit the damage. First down. What have you been up to? Uh, for the most part, I've been just trying to maintain the garden, maintain the lawn. Yep. <laughs> Not much else. Uh, we haven't had much rain, ironically, in the last month, probably a millimeter. So yeah, we're we're a little low. I imagine you started harvest. I know in our garden, we've, we've been into the beans and the beets and uh, of course, having lettuce most of the summer, it seems like, but uh, things are starting to come together now. Beans are going crazy. The beets, not yet. Raspberries, I think we're pretty close. Almost at the end. Maybe hmm. eight, nine kilograms so far. Wow. Wow. You're going to have lots of uh, ice cream and raspberries this, this winter? More like uh, jellies oh. and jams. My wife is fantastic at... Uh, pulling those together so she does a good job i've had them a lot of christmas gifts go out that way they are awesome don hey i want to go back to last week at the uh, start in the intro last week don you stated that as the next deadline approaches and uh i I'm, I'm starting to wonder if you're psychic because it approached and it it passed and i'm wondering if we're going to be seeing that again this week you could if you want and i think we're gonna be not far off if we do <laughs> it just seems to be a moving target doesn't it well, I was looking back to earlier episodes that we had, and I believe it was the third week, fourth week of March. I can't remember the episode number, but that we, you and I had just learned that the draft was being postponed, training camp was being postponed, and at that time, the speculation was that a decision would have to be taken by the middle of August. So I've never really looked at any of these prior deadlines as anything of significance. Mm -hmm. I don't see much really. And uh, truthfully, I've always believed that between the week of you know, the dates of August 14th to August 21st, that's when we're actually going to know once and for all if there's a 2020 or not. Well, hopefully, hopefully we do. And, it, you know, from the sounds of it, as you follow the media, it seems more and more like the, the chance of it actually going ahead is getting slimmer and slimmer as we approach those deadlines, Don. Well, the media has a job to do to create interest, and their interest is whatever they want to put into the paper, into the television broadcast, into their web broadcasts. It's it's kind of what we're doing here. It's just all speculation. The CFL has been really tight-lipped about what they're trying to accomplish uh, we've heard snippets of maybe it's going to be one-third salary for players. Uh, the protocols, everything else seem to be in line with what Health Canada wants for them to do. So the bubble we know about, but there are still a couple of key factors that we don't know about, and that's the stuff that they're trying to negotiate. One is some money to help pay for this season, and two, of that money that does come, how much is allocated to the players. That's really, the I think, the two elements that are still out there. Sticking points. So, well, let's let's start with the money. Um, initially, we, we had some media releases that the, the Bank of Canada, the business development, may take a look at, at floating some money to the CFL, but 
found out that the CFL didn't meet criteria. Provinces would have to be guarantors, and that didn't go across. That left the CFL now exploring another option. They've they've gone in front of the finance committee. They've gone in front of uh, the the heritage minister. They've gone in front. Of, you know, they're just going through all these different doors, and they're knocking and knocking and knocking, trying to see who out there is going to finally secure them the funds to get this going. I feel for them in one sense because it seems like they're made to jump through so many hoops. And I don't know if other businesses have to go through this. They may not because the other businesses are getting the, the one that I understand they're exploring, that business credit availability program. Other businesses are using that towards their operating expenses. And I think that's where, where the CFL is potentially a little different. They're still doing some operations at this point, but the players aren't part of that operation. So that's where we've talked ad nauseum almost about it, uh, is that the, the players aren't getting paid right now and they want some kind of income and the ability that to have, a, even if the CFL does not go ahead, at least a, a safety net for the players. And at this point, they're not getting that. Regular businesses can get these loans and they'll be used for those operating expenses that are as a result of COVID-19. But where does the CFL fit on this? Because the players themselves haven't been paid, only the, you know, the operation staff are being paid at this point in time. So, Well, I don't understand what the distinction is. They're, they're salaried employees. So what is the difference? They're part of operations. They're part of the operation of the franchise. I don't get the difference. What's the distinction here? Uh, the, the only difference is that up to this point, because the games haven't been played, they haven't been paid. Well, then why don't you get that written into whatever loan and, and get that understanding in place so that you know that that includes the players? I don't, I, to me, this is like a slam dunk. What's the big deal? I hope it comes for the players because I do know that, you know, the ones that are not employed outside of the CFL are going to be struggling. You expect to make a certain amount of money. You count on it over the course of the year. You rent everything else. And uh, when it doesn't come to fruition, they're they're like any other employee and the fact that they need some funds or, or some kind of support to get through to the next year or when they can play again. But they're not unique in this COVID universe. There are others like them out there that have to f come up with different avenues of trying to get through this COVID situation without a revenue stream necessarily they, that any of us can count mm -hmm. on. So it's it's nothing unique or peculiar to them. I understand their pain, but you still have to be aware that that's a potentiality. And it's not like this is an ordinary circumstance. The The universe in which we live, we haven't seen the likes of this in a hundred years. You just, you have to sort of put a big world perspective on this. When we talk about that loan going out, the loan is going to be then in the names of the business owner, so the, the owners. And the owners at this point aren't paying players, but if they do start paying players, the owners are going to be on the line for those loans. That puts some onus on them. I assume most owners also have other businesses that allow them to make some money, or maybe in this case with COVID going on at this point might still be losing money. So uh, do they want to take that loan or not? For me, Don, I would say that if the league doesn't go ahead, that's where I see this falling. I think Rod Peterson mentioned it on his show last week that he sees if the CFL and the CFLPA can get together and have an agreement, uh, he sees the owners being the ones that will probably pull the pin and, and 
that's where it will fall in the fact that they don't want to necessarily take this monetary risk. Well, he's entitled to that opinion. I don't get that completely because when it comes to a loan, you can service a loan so you can extend that loan over a long time. So it's not like the owners are going to have to pay up next spring. They're going to have a, a payment schedule that is going to be required of them. And I'm sure that that will be amenable. I think that what you have is a bigger issue between the community-based teams and the privately owned teams. The agendas, as we discussed last week, are quite different between the two sides. And so if you have a community-based situation where they don't have these other revenue streams, but my sense of it is they probably were more dependent on the football operations going ahead, then you get some tension built in because the private side says, well, we can wait because we've got other avenues that can sustain us. Well, these guys don't. So now you've got three owners or three teams on one side of the ledger and, th and six on the other. They're not necessarily diametrically opposed, but certainly there has to be give and take. And I think cynically you would say that's what would happen. Practically, I think they're all football fans and I think they want to see this go ahead. I think they also know that a, if you get out of sight and out of mind, it becomes tougher for you to come back. If the CFL doesn't play in 2020, getting going in 2021, you've got to generate interest. So I kind of think that I don't want to be so cynical in saying that some owners are just want to pull a plug. It doesn't matter because I just don't see that. I think they're, they're shrewd business people because otherwise they wouldn't have the money they have, but they also are huge football fans and they want to see football. To not stress the point though, they are, as you said, shrewd business people. And, and part of that is making good business decisions and taking on debt when you're not sure what the future will hold for the league is uh, a risk. Uh, and it's going to be a risk for the owners. It's going to be a risk for the community teams as well. It'll be interesting to see where this moves forward. And, and is this loan guarantee going to be able to help the parties come together and, and say, yes, we are going to go to the field in 2020? Well, I think that's the whole reason why you go out and they and, and exercise your uh, your notion of getting a loan. If, you, if you're not interested in playing, don't bother. Mm -hmm. Just pull the plug and say, thank you, but we'll, be, we'll see you next spring. I don't think that they're going to go through all of this orchestration and all of this administrative effort to try to secure a loan if they don't want to play. It just makes no sense to me. They want to go ahead. They want to find a way. It has to be practical for both sides. You have to be compensated as a player, but the owners can't go deep into the well yep. to make this happen. So if you're going to look at this as a big picture issue, you've got to find uh, somewhere in the middle where they can meet. Already the Players Association have worked through a lot of the particulars, but the two stumbling blocks are still out there. Doesn't mean that they can't get through them. Doesn't mean that the timeline doesn't allow it. It just means they're out there. Uh, on another uh, stage, this last week, we, we saw the um, league issued a statement regarding what's best for the CFL in 2020. And, and I think in, in certain media words, was a non-definitive statement regarding the 2020 season. So what, what were your thoughts when you read those, Don? Well, I wasn't 
too wired one way or the other. Or they it, it was just an indication to me that there was no agreement in place. And so without that, what else are you going to say? I was going to say the deadline passes and you still have no decision. There, there's really not much to say, is there? And, and that certainly was what I took from reading the statement. Um, the CFL didn't have much to say, so it really just kind of said, not much. We're just extending and still taking a look at it. Exactly. There's no hard and fast deadline until you hit the middle of August, because then the wheels have to be in motion. If you don't get something done by then, okay, we're no 2020. We know that then. So what's it's like there's so many people that are at a wedding waiting for their table number to be called to the buffet line, and they're getting so wound up that somebody else's table has gone in front of them. Oh, great that the NBA has gone forward. Great that the NHL has gone forward. NASCAR is running. But baseball has had its problems with COVID. Yeah. There's nothing hard and fast that says any of these other professional sports. We've seen two teams be eliminated in the, in the soccer uh tournament you just you it's not that simple it's not a a question of just open the door get everybody in there let's play football again you have to have so many pieces in place and this is an orchestration the likes of which no one has seen for a hundred years and even at that how many professional leagues were this this strong at that time there weren't many if any the nhl was the nha i believe there was no NBA. You know, you just go on and on and on. No, no, this, this, it's, it's all new now. So this is, these are the groups that go through this for the very first time. They're the ones that are learning. This is the benchmark by which the future will look back and say, okay, that's what they did. That worked. That didn't. Well, and right now, I think we're seeing, we're seeing some of that in the fact that those places that have. Uh, bubbled in location, which the CFL is looking to do, seem to be a little bit better than MLB, for example, where people are traveling and we're seeing a fairly high rate of infection with COVID-19. It doesn't matter if it's a bubble or if it's the MLB experience. Everything comes down to of you still are expected to volunteer. Yeah, the guidelines are there. Mm-hmm. There's nobody shadowing you every step of the of the day. You have to still have your own wits about you. And if you can't be responsible to yourself and to your teammates, there's nothing anyone can do. And more and more, that, that is the case. You, I mean, you're always responsible to your teammates for the performance on the field, but now you're responsible for your actions and interactions, not only on the field, but also off the field and in public. And, and that's... Uh, putting a lot of onus on those players to keep each other safe. Exactly. But I think, isn't that the way society is as well? I mean, aren't we wearing masks not to protect us, but to protect the people around us? So we do it for them. That's what these players have to think. And if you're the Marlins, who right now are in big trouble, you have to stop and just say, what is this for? Like, am I here to party or am I here to play? and make that decision and do something with it. The majority of people, I think, will do that. But, but uh, you know, we've seen in this COVID situation, there are some people who are very empathetic and are, are trying to do what they can, and others who are asserting their individual rights to do what I want to do still. And I think, uh, in this case, the collective rights have to supersede those individual rights in order for the safety of the team and the organization. That is the stumbling block as both the uh, CFL, CFLPA move ahead and, and watching, as you said, the other leagues uh, and what they're doing. It's definitely going to have an impact on whether or not the CFL can go ahead in terms of what else is happening. And I think for me, 
the notion of the bubble, at least at this point, appears to be the safest route to move forward to reopening your sport. Second down. and play along with our CFL trivia. It's trivia time. Back to improve on his score of 15 out of 40, it's Pat. Uh, woo, let's try to improve. I'm not sure. Uh, uh, there's there's not much room except to go up, although I'm, I'm hearing that I could be in tough this week. Well, if you're not happy with the t- tenor of these questions. <laughs> okay, sounds good. <laughs> Hey, I wonder what those who are playing along, I mean, are they getting better than 15 for 40? I wonder. It would be. I've got a couple of people that do play along, and one is just over 50%. And one's Well, look at that. He claims is well over 50%. We'll maybe have to start putting some of our questions out on Twitter, Don, so we can, uh, you know, have some people play along, see how they'll do, bef- you know, not, not telling us after the fact they got more than 50%. That's a thought. Yeah, let's generate some interest. I mean, there are a few people that put a lot of work into these trivia questions. So, you bet. Well, th- thanks to them. I, it would be nice to get some uh, extra interest in it. Well, let's see. Hopefully, this week I can get at least fifty percent. That's the goal. Yes. Every week. You might. Uh, you, you might surprise me. I, I I haven't quite hit it, but yeah, who knows? Let's see. All right, here we go. Question one. Edmonton won its first interlocking game in this team's home park on September the 9th, 1961, 35 to 26, but would not defeat this team again there until July 3rd, 1981, 47 21. That team was. Yeah. Now, this is interlocking, so it means it has to be an Eastern team. So I'll give you the Eastern squads. A, Ottawa, B, Montreal, C, Toronto, or D, Hamilton. So one of those four, Edmonton beat the first time they met them there and then didn't do it again for another 20 years. Now, granted, they didn't play there every year. Right. I'm, I, I can't recall, to be honest, but I'm, I'm going to go with Montreal on this one. So that's B? B. And the answer is A, Ottawa. Ooh. It's a bit of a stunner. That is. I I was expecting Montreal or Hamilton, to be honest. The 60s make sense because Ottawa was a powerhouse. They were. Beginning of the 70s, they were a decent team. Mid-70s, they were a decent team. But the end of the 70s, they were not. They were not very good at all. And yet the Edmonton team could not win there until 1981. And you think of the Edmonton teams of that era... Well, they were huge in that time, yeah. I, it's just one of those statistical anomalies that you... That's a little shocking. I was thinking Montreal had a better team at that time, so that's what I was going with. The problem for Montreal was that they weren't that great in the 60s. Edmonton probably beat them up in the 60s. True. Anyway, that's, that's a tough one. Well, I'm over so far. We'll see. You'll, you might get better. We'll see what this one provides you. This one isn't as bad. Question two. One other team in the modern era has won three straight Grey Cups other than Edmonton. Name the team, and I'll give you choices. A, Hamilton, B, Winnipeg, or C, Montreal, D, Toronto. 
who's going to ask a very simple, easy question. And it's not. Won three times in a row is what you're saying in the modern era? Three, three straight Grey Cups in the modern era, modern era being post-1945. Right. Okay. And what were my choices again? A was Hamilton, B was Winnipeg, C was Montreal, D was Toronto. Hmm. I'm going to go with D, Toronto. The answer is D? Yep. The answer is D. That is correct. Woohoo. 1945 to 1947, the Argos won three straight. After a, a few weeks ago, they, they had the most, so I figured it might have to be them. <laughs> That's good thinking. Yep. All right, so you're, you're, you're treading water again. I, I, I'm at my 50% so far. Need one more to make it through. I'm thinking you'll get this one. Okay. Question three. The Eastern Conference was called a different name prior to 1960. It was known as a... IRFU, Interprovincial Rugby Football Union, B, ERU, Eastern Rugby Union, C, OQFC, Ontario Quebec Football Conferences, or D, EFRC, Eastern Football Regional Conference. And don't ask me to repeat those. Yeah, no, I won't, but I, I think I'm going to go with the one with the rugby, and uh, that was A, I think. Rugby Union. There's two with rugby, A and B. Interprovincial Rugby Football Union. Interprovincial. Let's do interprovincial. I'm going with that. A, yep. You want to do A? So you choose A, and the answer is A. Woo! The Interprovincial Rugby Football Union. Okay, there we go. I'm going to hit at least 500 this week. <laughs> <laughs> you are on your way. With that momentum, will Pat carry it? Let's hope. Into question four. On August 22nd, 1958, your favorite years, mm-hmm. versus Montreal, Toronto's Boyd Carter and Dave Mann combined for the longest missed field goal return in CFL history. The return length was A, 131 yards, B, 129 yards, C, 134 yards, or D, 126 yards? So kind of a guess. A little bit, unless you know your CFL history. No. Because this is the longest. Combined, so that's in one game. That that combined is inconsequential in a sense. They just, in this case, they happen to combine for it. So it must be a lateral, right? You betcha. Which one was in the 130s? Was it one? A was 131 and C was 134. Let's take the lesser. 131, A. Let's stay with A. Keep a trend going. And the answer is A. Oh, that's surprising. (laughs) You chose A. Uh, Got lucky this time. Boyd Carter went 15 yards and lateral to Dave Mann, who ran the final 116. Prior to 1986, just in case some American friends are listening, end zones were 25 yards deep. Now end zones are only 20 yards deep. So essentially, Carter and Mann's record can never be broken unless that depth has changed back. That's right. Yeah, that's something. So that record will stand. Uh, that's that's one of those ones that... That's true. Yeah, you can't... You can, Max, you can do right now is 129. 19 yards deep in the end zone and run your 110 over it. Yep. Wow. 
So these guys are going to live on forever. I imagine there's been a few 129s, Don. I believe three. Hold on. Remember, for proper physical distancing, if you're close enough to shake hands, you're too close. The recommended distance in CFL terms is two yards. Don't get a no yards penalty. Make sure you stay back at least two yards to maintain proper physical distancing. Third down. So just as we were coming out to record, we just learned that uh, The Rock has bought what was left of the XFL. Yeah, uh, he and a partner bought it out of receivership. And uh, I guess my question, Don, is, is that really actually news? I mean, you bought a defunct league that's no longer operating. Uh, what was the ask? $15 million, I think they did with a, quote, buy it now. Yep. Uh, Redbird Capital is a partner along with uh, his ex-wife, uh, Danny Garcia. So it's an interesting purchase. Uh, it's still in bankruptcy proceedings, I believe, and all of this has to be approved by a judge. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of creditors from the 2019 version of the XFL that uh, are looking to recoup their investment. And I'm certain that uh, that will have to be dealt with. I've heard estimates minimally $10 million is being sought maximally you could be looking at $50 million. So the $15 million purchase price may get you in the door, but (laughs) you may have a lot of other things to manage. Well, and I I think if he purchases it, I assume that the previous owner is on the hook for everything based on the bankruptcy proceedings. And I mean, I'm sure he's going to try to revitalize the league, but I just don't see it being viable. I think if you purchase the assets and the name of a business, I think you also bring along their liabilities. So I don't think you can escape that because this isn't a new entity. He bought the entity. Yep. So that's just my limited business acumen, but that's my sense of it. That that for me is taking a big risk because I'm not sure, as I said before, if this league is viable and if you're going to pay $15 million, then on top of it, assume the debt and you're not even sure that you can resume to the field or, or that the ownership groups that are involved with each one of the teams wants to continue. That's a big risk. Well, if anything that uh, we've been learning about over the past few years with regard to startup leagues in football, especially in the United States, it's a massive hill to climb. We have seen the World Football League. I'm just, I'm not going back far enough, but the World Football League the USFL, we've seen XFL 1, the AF, XFL 2. It just is not a great track record. I think there was the Continental Football League back in the 60s. There's just no proven story that leads one to believe that, yeah, this is a great idea and rah, rah, we're in for it, let's go. The only exception to the rule, I guess, would be the AFL, but I highly doubt that the NFL wants to merge with anybody new. I, I don't see that happening at all. I'm not sure that the um, the places where they're playing out of are big enough necessarily or, or in places where they're competing against the NFL. It's, it's just not going to happen. So, I mean, I hope that The Rock is able to make something go of this. Um, football isn't a bad thing uh, to have extra football and, and opportunities for players, but 
I just don't see this being viable. I just don't see how this is going to work. The whole notion of the AAF was to get a contract with the NFL so that they had a, a tight alliance with them. They sort of had that. Didn't really work out. I just don't see where you're going to fit that NFL juggernaut in the United States is so huge and so all-pervasive. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, in, in this case, I, I don't see the NFL really wanting competition right now. I don't see them also taking a look, as you mentioned previously, the merger idea, I think, is is not even close. So unless there are at least $15 million worth of um, equipment and things, The Rock may be uh, putting some money out. But then again, superstar and uh, maybe maybe his presence will try to bring something in. But Vince McMahon tried that once and it, that didn't work either. Tried it twice. Well, you're right. <laughs> XFL 1 and 2. Find your niche and stay within it. I think where the mistakes were made in the past was this belief that they could always challenge the NFL. And I think you're folly if you think you can do that. I don't know. I mean, we don't know what he's going to do with these assets. Maybe he's just going to buy and make a movie. I have no clue what the reasoning is behind this. I know that mm-hmm. the, the the group has had a history of sort of getting into the sports arena and, and buying different entities. So we'll see. I, your guess is as good as mine. It's just funny to me that money is put forward and immediately there are people jumping up and down saying, well, now the CFL can be the XFL North and the and the uh, CFL can be bought out by the XFL. All our problems are solved. And I'm like, really? <laughs> you know, like, did you actually stop before you hit the keyboard with your fingers to think about what you were going to write a lot of people are are not thinking in that case and and uh, we've, we've gone through this multiple times just don't see this being an option for the cfl Let, let's go back to the cfl let's let's move away from this league that shall not be named again and and talk about the cfl players that are going to be opting out in this season because we have had players like brandon bank definitively state as Heath pointed out a few weeks ago he's not going to play and the CFL now is, or at least we're hearing from, I believe it's reporter Dan Ralph, that the CFL is uh, not going to do anything with the contract status affected or to be paid. So, for example, if, if this year is Brandon Banks' last year in the CFL, next year he'll be a free agent. Thoughts on that, Don? Basically what they're doing is they're saying that if you have a contract that expires in 2020, then they'll treat you as if they played the season you won't be getting the revenue for that season if there is no season but right your contract will have the same status as though there was a season in that sense so that yes Brandon Banks could sign with another team or another league if need be uh, Tony Washington I believe has been very vocal from Montreal he's been very vocal repeatedly about this type of uh, situation it, I I don't know if you're Brandon Banks, do you really want to give up that security? Because if there's no 2020, there there's going to be a 2021. If you just say, can I defer? Yeah, hardship a little bit in 2020, but he's got a big contract for the next year. He does, and, and I think players like Brandon Banks who are going to be well-paid and are superstars in the league, are, he's going to have an opportunity to walk back in. Another one who retired this year would be James Wilder. I think some of these players will have opportunities to come back in, but I think the average CFL player who chooses not to play for whatever reason, they if the league plays, 
that I think that's a risk for a player in the fact that the next young guy who's out there may come in and play very well and and that way you could potentially lose your spot if you're not the Brandon Banks or James Wilder type of superstar in the league. Well, let's let's look at it from a coaching perspective. James Wilder signed with the Alouettes, decides to retire. Let's say he does want to come back in 2021. If you're the coach of the Alouettes, Kahari Jones, what are you thinking in terms of what you want to do with this player? Because where does he fit into your plans now? Notwithstanding if there's anyone else, where does he fit in with you? Because he bolted. The, the ship keeps going, right? The team keeps moving forward. With or without you, there's still going to be a 2021. So I don't know how much you, you take a step back if you're a coach and make a and you reach out to him and say, look, 2021, would you like to come back? Maybe you do because he's that valuable. It all depends on what your belief systems are, I guess. Again, I think some of those superstars, I mean, if, if you have the opportunity to add Brandon Banks on your team again, I, I mean, you're not going to say no. He's an exciting receiver. He's, uh, you know, instant entertainment. And uh, James Wilder maybe is, is not quite that same level. But uh, to me, if you've got the opportunity to add someone who's going to help your team win, as a coach, you're going to do that. Where I have a variance, I guess, with, with Wilder retiring is he took a, a signing bonus, is my understanding. I think it was $25,000 signing bonus. Um, you know, he walks away with the signing bonus and he comes back. Now, if he's a free agent next year, there's no way I'm going to be giving him a signing bonus. And I don't care which GM you are as part of the salary management. You're going to say, uh, okay, is he going to opt out again? And, you know, he has a history now. Someone like Brandon Banks, who maybe didn't get the signing bonus, but is just taking the year off to, to do something, I think you're you're more likely as a GM and coach to bring that that individual back. I, I think I would be in agreement with that because it's it's a question of, of business. Uh, are you going to take that risk? We we've talked about risk reward in the in the first part of this podcast. Where do you want to try to play a season when you're going to be losing money? Well, are you going to re-sign a player that potentially could walk away with some capital and never show up again? That's always a tough situation. I think you, you deal with that regardless as an as a organization because there are players that for one reason or another, maybe it's health, maybe it's family, can't make it. But if a guy chooses because he's upset over something, well, puts him in a different ballpark. It, it does. And as a GM, I, I mean, I'm, I would be reticent next year to give anyone a signing bonus, to be honest. I think if, if we're going to work something like that, and I'd be saying, okay, maybe call it a COVID bonus. And the fact that you make half the games, you're going to get a bonus or all the games, you get a different bonus. Um, because, you know, that way you're guaranteed someone up here. Otherwise you pay 25,000, 40,000, whatever your signing bonus is. And that individual then says, uh, I'm not feeling safe about it. They're going to, the potential to walk uh, you know players like wilder have now set that into the gm's mind and they're going to be thinking twice about it well he's not the first one to do that darian durant did that with the bombers a few years ago as well he did and it you, you raise an interesting point and maybe this is something in the cba that you may wish to address is they have these off-season signing bonuses and maybe now they should roll it into when you report to camp. That's when you get it. You get past the doctor. You get past the everything else, and you're going to be on the roster. Okay, boom. That's when you get your – because there, now it's tied to the fact that you are there uh, holding up your end of the bargain, as it were. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I, I think there's a lot to that because – as I said before, I think if I'm a player and I'm concerned about my safety and the safety of my family and people back home, if I'm going to go on top of playing the risk of 
being on the field and getting hit in football. Now you've got a, a pandemic out there, so you could bring that home to people you care about and love. If you get a decent signing bonus and there's options for you to do something elsewhere, you might opt out. Or uh, to me, I think it's it's probably more likely you're going to opt out than before. So I, I like what you're saying, Don, the idea of giving that signing bonus when you're actually at the team and ready to move on, to me, makes sense. It shows that they are committed and, and now we move forward. I guess the trade-off is that a signing bonus is typically the team's faith in you, that they value you enough and that they're not going to cut you, so they already give you a portion of your salary tied up in the bonus, stating that if you're making 100000 and you get forty in bonuses, they're probably not going to cut you right off the top because they've already invested heavily in you, and that's the security factor for the players. So, yeah, it's a little yeah. bit of a... Of a, of a sticky wicket, as the uh, Brits might say. And uh, it does leave some interpretation that you have to sort of countenance and come to some sort of resolution. It, it certainly does, Don. Another question, Don, I guess, is, uh, you know, we go back to the original thing we spoke about and the fact that uh, these these players who are choosing not to come this year are going to potentially be free agents or the year counts as one of their contract. I wonder how many players will be available in shifting teams that uh, maybe won't have the same allegiance to their team because coming back into an organization after you've chosen to leave on the football field your brothers behind and you're not playing with them, will that organization be as likely to bring you back as they may have if you were actually there and playing alongside the others during this time. I really think it comes down to whether or not there are any games in 2020. If they do have the abbreviated season starting in September Mm -hmm. and you do this, you may be viewed by your teammates differently than if there is no season, then you're all in the same boat. Really, none of us gave up anything any different. So, yeah, that's a great question because if there's a season and I choose not to appear because I'm not making enough, I don't know how that sits with the rest of the locker room. In some cases, yeah, they'll they'll be saying, yeah, you're championing our cause. And in other cases, they're saying, what's the problem, buddy? I'm here. Yeah, I think there, there could be some players who may have some struggles with that. If they've, they're out there, they're doing their job, and, and you're the as I said before, the superstar, the Brandon Banks, who chooses to walk away because you know you're going to get a job where the regular person, you know, making a minimum salary has to be there just to protect their job. It's interesting that we're seeing some players, and it's honestly, it's been very few that have said they're not going to appear if there's a, Mm -hmm. some are upset that they have to take a pay cut. But for the most part, we haven't heard many rumblings that players won't appear. The the other side of the equation is what if you're a, a quarterback, let's say a Nick Arbuckle or somebody like that that is just coming into his stride, signed a long-term contract. Maybe this would have been the year had he known that COVID was going to happen. There's no season that he would have liked to have applied his trade in the NFL just to see what would be available to him. But you never hear a peep out of him either. No, you don't. Uh, that's a good point, Don. I wonder what what do you think that someone like Nick Arbuckle will, will will do in that case. I'm just, my sense is the leaders seem to be saying, either, even by their silence, the leaders seem to be saying that we have to work with what we've got and move forward from here. We can't just buck the system and 
turn tail and go somewhere else just because we're dissatisfied with X, Y, or Z. There's a there's a broader sort of uh, picture here. I keep referring to this big picture idea, but it kind of is because you're not just thinking about 2020. It's 2021 and 2022. The CFO gets a loan. These loans are going to be uh, paid for over the next several years. So you, you if you're looking at a CFL 3.0 or something like that, all this is sort of germane to the discussion. And if you pull out now, you're probably not going to be at the table when the next round comes forward in discussion. I would agree. If you do pull out, um, your chance of making a meaningful contribution to that discussion is, is, is much less than it would be if you, as you say, through their silence, uh, at least acquiesce and agree with what's going on. Well, let the let their leadership do what they're supposed to do. Let them figure this out for you, because is that not the reason why you elected them or hired them? Well, and you do want negotiations to take place behind door. And while there's been some vocal players, I think for the most part, you're right in the fact that the highest paid players or those leaders are, are at least sitting quietly. Those, those names that we find synonymous with the CFL. We're not hearing as much out of those individuals at this point in a general sense. We've seen them practicing. They want to go. They want to play. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, let's let's hope they do. We'll find out maybe this week, but my guess is mid-August is when we finally get the answer one way or the other. Well, you said the 14th to 21st and uh, first down, so let's see if that actually comes true, Don. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean. Third Down Gamble can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter, where our handle is at Third Down Gamble. That's spelled at T-H-I-R-D-D-O-W-N-G-A-M-B-L-E. Join us again next time. The Third Down Gamble Podcast. Audio. Worth watching. Worth watching.